Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. I'm Shireen, and I am joined by Lindsay and Brenda. Today on the show, we will be talking about when playoffs are boring, blowouts, sweeps, and the like. But before we do that, let's talk about a common thing and theme that goes through and flows through Burn It All Down. FIFA is stupid. Lindsay, you were blowing up in the chat about this. Do you want to tell us what specifically irritated you? Uh, This headline made me laugh slash cry slash, you know, bang my head against the wall. We saw an article on CNN about how FIFA said that it will host the first ever carbon neutral World Cup this year, which is just like (laughs) the column says, but not everyone's buying it. Well, yeah, not everyone's buying it. Like, duh, of course. (laughs) And then like you click on it and I did a little, just like a teeny bit of digging, but apparently their calculations that they were using to say this did not include the air conditioning they're using to air condition the stadiums because it's too hot to play. And I'm like, how do you just like, how do you get to just opt out of that one? Like, it's like, these facts are not for mine. So we're just not going to count this energy and these facts. Cause if we do that, it's not carbon neutral. Of course, I'm sure they're finagling anyways to get it, you know, to get to say that's carbon neutral without it. Anyways, it's just all bullshit and greenwashing and ugh. So, I mean, nothing surprises me about the Men's World Cup to be held in Qatar starting in November. But what I do really love about this is that this also great use of the word finagling. I love that word. But um, the idea that they're going to twist and turn. Brenda, you talked to David Goldblatt recently in an episode, and this actually came up, and I just wanted to re-up that interview. But is this something that was expected, this particular type of greenwashing? Oh, yeah. Everything's been expected about this World Cup for like 11 years. Um, Basically, when you (laughs) bribe for votes in the open off the bat, not to mix sports metaphors, you're basically getting ready to accept any kind of human rights, environmental, racial justice, labor violation that you can imagine. And it's everything. It's all the nightmares coming true. Um, And when you say, when Lindsay says, I don't know what kind of calculation they're using, there's a magical FIFA abacus where they... (laughs) Where they do magical money, like this is where the development money is. And 20 million plus 20 million equals 40 million in Zurich and zero million to any of the people it was earmarked to. So I can't imagine what they're doing with something as complicated as trying to do like carbon offsets um, and things like that. I mean, how would they even, how do you even offset the flights from Peru are 40 hours. <laughs> How do you offset that? I don't like 20 million trees have been planted where? Qatar? Because I don't think that they can grow trees that easily. Something else I found out from uh, a, a friend of mine who actually lives in Qatar and in Doha. And she was saying that the children's summer holiday has been shortened to only two weeks instead of like eight or nine because they're going to switch their holiday from all of November and December. So they're basically giving the kids no summer break so they can take two. And so what they're saying is the fact that school buses or chauffeurs won't be driving children to school adds to the lack of carbon footprint. 
that's also being tabulated. It's ridiculous. There'll be no school traffic. Ergo, that doesn't worsen the environment. Wow. I wonder what it's like to be this optimistic. I just want to read a comment (laughs) underneath the CNN column that ends, but not everyone's buying it. And there's a comment that said, I'd like to wait for hashtag Qatar 2022 to actually happen to judge. It's a lot already that they even care about the environment and are trying to make the World Cup hashtag sustainable. So, you know, why can't we just wait to judge, you know? Because <laughs> it's it's not like Qatar has given us any indication that they're anything but wonderful. It's not that there's... Where's anything. our good faith? Where's our good faith? <laughs> oh, to be that commentator. <sighs> We are recording on Monday, and tonight is game five of the series between the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors, the NBA Finals. So they're at two games each right now. But to some, this year's NBA playoffs have been very boring. Every conference final was a blowout. And this made me think about playoffs being boring and what that means for a game. Are boring playoffs bad for the sport? I was reading up on this, and R.P. Salau of Clutch Points blog had written, that's been the theme of these playoffs, especially of late Nearly all of the last several games have been one-sided affairs. Only one of the last 18 games, if you include Game 5 of the Celtics' seat, has been decided by less than six points. 13 of the 18 ended with a double-digit deficit, including half of them being at least 20 points. End quote. So I'm thinking about this, using basketball, and particularly the NBA, as not being fun. Like, I'm into the anticipation and the up-and-down emotions and Are they going to do it? Is it going to be a comeback? Is it going to be close? Like, I like being that type of sports fan, and I don't feel like I've been energized in that way. And am I always energized in that way? Not necessarily, but I did really want to talk about a little bit of that. Lens? Yeah, I mean, I think that the games themselves haven't always been close, but this series have been very back and forth. Um, It's very rare that you get both really exciting games and like a seven game series, you know, but I think in this, sometimes you get really close games, but it's a route or ends in five. I know the Celtics have gone to multiple seven game series and the individual games haven't been that intriguing, but the overall storylines and the matches have been really fun to watch. So I love the NBA playoffs. It's hard to get me to dislike the NBA playoffs. So the Celtics are certainly trying, (laughs) you know, I just like, I can't do the Boston thing. I just can't. But I really enjoyed them. And I think that, of course, I would love it, ideally, if the games were all nail biters till the end. Like, that would be, you know, in a perfect world. But it doesn't bother me too much. It does wonders for my anxiety, the nail biters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Also, like, then it would just, like, take away hours of sleep. Because if I get that, like, riled up at, like, midnight, you know what I mean? Like, every night. Like, that's not good. But I think that, like, one of the reasons I like the playoffs, NBA playoffs overall, like, we're kind of talking about the last couple rounds here, but, you know, they have been trying to make things more interesting. They had the play-in tournament, which this year I think gave us some really exciting um, opening rounds with both the Pelicans and the Timberwolves making it into the the first round and giving us really exciting series. And I think they would not have gotten in if it had just been like the standard eight seed um, situation. So I think, you know, rewarding teams that are peaking at the right time is a good thing. So I don't know. I haven't been that upset by it, but I certainly like understand, like it has been really, it's been a weird playoffs. The heat Celtic series in particular was really weird. Cause it was like either one team was in front by 
20 or the other team was in front by 20, right? Like it was just like no rhyme or reason to it. And I think that if I'm looking at it at a micro level, that's what I'm talking about. Like the games themselves, like the, the point differential being so much and that not being fun anymore. Like when you start beating someone, when someone starts getting 20 in the, in the second quarter, it's not fun anymore. Like I like nail biters. Like it just, it, it also, you know, allows for much better tweeting, like tweeting of the game if it's a nail biter. But anyways, Brenda, as a resident historian, can you tell us a little bit about the history of play? Well, it's funny, you know, coming from soccer, I don't understand the length of series and what it does to the regular season and how people that doesn't bother people. So let me just say like right (laughs) off the bat, like I find that so annoying. That anxiety only needs to stay with me for 90 minutes, max 180. So I already am like, oh my gosh, this is grueling. But I should say, like, you know, historically, when you see lopsided scores, when you're looking through old newspapers, the obvious observation is that the game hasn't really developed in certain places. So what we saw in Thailand um, versus the U.S. women's national team in the last World Cup, a lot of people, you know, said, oh, they're so mean. That was pretty sexist. We all kind of came around to, no, it just shows that you know, the Thai Federation needs to put more resources into um, their women's game, which is true of anywhere. I personally, I feel like I've intellectualized my fandom to the point where I like, I do about NBA playoffs root harder for Stan Van Gundy to call a game because I love him so much and I can't stand his brother, Jeff. (laughs) So that's like, that's like where I like, you know, where my head goes, like I've just sort of like outsourced in my brain um, that, that point and what I get interested in, in blowouts is like, why, if it's not just money, how, what has this team done to like elevate the sport? Do you know what I mean? Like, can I figure it out? Are there like clues? I guess I don't like get that bored with it. The only thing historically I want to say is historically one thing I really love about blowouts is a mercy rule. I don't know the way you feel about it. But I feel that I really like uh, mercy rules. I, as a player, a very terrible softball player as well, I feel like it's important in sports to have rivals and then to humiliate and obliterate people. It's not great. You know, I don't like the unwritten rules, like the bat flip kind of stuff. But I do feel like, you know, if you give your rival a little modicum of respect um, and gentleness, that that's a good kind of, like, takeaway. Do you know what I mean? Like, maybe... If the Treaty of Versailles went that way, we wouldn't have World War II. I don't really know. Don't obliterate your enemy. I mean, I feel like with mercy rules with youth, I get it. But I played in an adult league and we've been beaten like eight nothing. And in indoor, we've beaten people pretty badly. And the problem is, as a striker, my objective is to score. That's my job. So to tell me to not do it, it's really hard for me. Yeah, you can pass. You can try different dribbling steps. You can dribble backwards. You can do like pass. Like we had a rule, like not a mercy rule, but we're like, guys, let's try to pass six or seven times before you put it in the net. Like, so as a player, like in a lopsided league, it's it's yeah. hard to do that. And of course, we've been beaten really bad. Well, it's worse in soccer because you don't have the subs. Well, that's the thing. In, in basketball, you can pull it and sub them back in if it looks like they're getting closer. In soccer, you can't you can't do that really anymore, but they should allow you to like flip. 
players. Like have the goalkeeper play striker. That's what we do. That's what we do. We pull yeah. our keeper out when we're winning by like a lot. Or if we all just want to be really funny, I'll go in that, which is hysterical for everybody involved. But I don't know if I necessarily agree about a mercy rule because how do you tell someone who's been training so hard to do something to just stop? Well, it's like when the game's over, just stop. Just don't do that. I, I get it, I mean, but it's really hard psychologically. No. Like also, I, I'm the mother of a goalkeeper, and I remember once Jihad had a game, I think it was about five years ago, and she was called up to play, and her team just gave up, and they were clobbered 13 nothing, and she was in net. And it was the, she was the worst game, and she hated it. She did it, but the other team didn't stop because there was no mercy rule. So at the same time, like, I feel a different way as a mother of a goalkeeper. But so when thinking about blowouts and whether they're bad for sport, lopsidedness, is this a sexist argument? Because I'm also thinking about women's college sports here. And for those that don't know, and we was talked about last week on the show, Oklahoma just won the College World Series, where they had a 50-0 win against UCLA. And in the game, one of the finals beat Texas 16-1. to um, You can... And again, Amira talked about it last week in episode 253. But this was also an argument that was used against UConn, women's basketball, for a very, very, very long time. And in 2018, they beat a team by 88 points in the NCAA tournament, your face, Brenda. Um, so is it bad for sport or necessary for growth? Because as Brenda already mentioned, when in the 2019 Women's World Cup, we saw Thailand get smashed. So that meant that, you know, Thailand had to, and the Asian Confederation had to invest more money. Um, so sports are still growing. And I don't know, what do you guys think about that? I think that ultimately, Dynasties of any kind, really great teams only help sports as it in general grow. It's not my favorite thing to watch, right? Like, I mean, I love Team USA basketball, right? I don't love watching them run through everybody else in the country at the Olympics every year, right? But I appreciate the greatness and I know that it's going to ultimately like lead to a better spot for the sport. I mean, people pay attention to dynasties. People latch on to dynasties. When there's a regular winner, there's also a villain of sorts, right? And that's always really, really helpful because one day that team is going to have to lose. That team is going to get beaten and you're going to, you know, kind of unleash a lot of parody, unleash a lot of excitement. So I think it's the ebb and flow, you know, obviously in these international sports that we're talking about, it's a little bit different because, it's about investment, about countries investing in the sport. You know, the as we discussed at the time, the discourse around that 13 to nothing win over Thailand was exhausting on all accounts, right? It was in some ways patronizing to the Thai players and villainizing the American women in this weird way when it was like, it's a sport where goal differential matters. Like, are they supposed to just like not try? They worked their whole lives for this, right? Like they're out there to compete, you compete. It sucked to watch. It wasn't fun to watch. I didn't enjoy it by any stretch of the imagination, but it was the reality of the situation. And it's not their job to hide that necessarily. It's their job to draw attention to ways to fix it. And I think they did that. And we want more investment so that the women's game can grow. I think we've seen that, you know, the college level, it's not the same as the international level, but, um, you know, we have seen that great programs do draw attention and do get other teams to invest 
in the sport and put their money, especially in a sport like basketball, where there's so much talent all around the country and the world. But now, of course, UConn hasn't won in a while. And, you know, there's a lot of parody and you've got like new greats like South Carolina um, kind of rising to the top. And that's really fun to watch as well. So I don't know. I just can't, I can't get too worked up over it. I always, I think we have to appreciate greatness. I always take parody over greatness. Like I like close things. I like not knowing who to, who's going to win. I like uncertainty, but I also understand that dominance is a part of that cycle, right? I think it can be talked about in a very sexist way to go back to your question when women are involved, because women's sports are always playing for their very legitimacy and existence, right? You know, at, at any point, like, it's like, well, you know, if you see a blowout in the men's sport, you're not going to say, well, the NBA shouldn't exist, right? Whereas if it's in a women's sport, you know, it, it's, it's a referendum, not on that tournament, not on those specific teams or those specific players, but as like the legitimacy of women's sports as a whole. So that part of the conversation is exhausting. Yeah, it's interesting. I think about the UNC women's team and Anson Dorrance. I don't know, does he have 21 NCAA titles with them? I don't know. So, 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 so many. And so when I say it interested me, that's a case that interested me. What was UNC doing Right. I wouldn't say any of us saw Anson Dorrance as a feminist icon. So it wasn't that. Not that, you know, it wasn't like. Speak for yourself. (laughs) Do you know what I mean, though? It wasn't like the thing that is true, though, is that he had coached the UNC men's team before going to the women. And I think that makes a difference because he was very successful. You see, so so they got a real quality coach to build that program. They didn't, you know, like the Brazilian national team where they took like someone who had never had a winning record in the men's league, gave Vidal, the coach of the Brazilian women's national team to one of the top women's team in the world and was just like, you're lucky to have a men's coach. You know what I mean? But instead, so when you look at that dominance, of course, that has to do with the players and you know, but it also has to do with having a really highly skilled coach who believed strongly and wanted to build a dynasty. He wasn't looking to leave that program. You know, that was going to be his um, program that he built up and he hired a lot of his very talented players as assistant coaches. And that was another really smart move. I mean, he jockeyed the resources of U.S. Soccer Federation with the resources of UNC, which was a big sports school coming into Title IX. And Linz, what about individual sports? When I think about kind of boring playoffs, you know, I think about like major tournaments and finals are always like where there's a big stage, right? There's big, like everyone wants the most exciting final. You pay the most money to see the finals, you know, whether it be Wimbledon or the French Open or US Open. And then if it's a route, you know, people act like very put off and very annoyed. And when it's women, there's always the equal pay talk because how, you know, the match was under an hour, why did they equal pay? And I just always think like it demeans the meaning of like the trophy, like, you know, my great friend Courtney Nguyen, who works with WTA always says like the phrase thing about like a grand slam and this is true about the olympics too is like it's always the best day of someone's life you know like that's like early rounds when there's so much happening and the final is like that on like a much grander stage right like somebody is going to win a major title and you're going to get to see it you're not just watching that one match you're watching the culmination of all this hard work in their life and you just kind of have to put that into perspective once again i obviously 
prefer thrillers. Like that's great. But I've been to major finals where it's boring and I still find myself crying at the trophy ceremony. I still find myself leaving feeling like I witnessed something incredible because you have, I think I just have a hard time like getting wrapped up in the discourse because sports are never just about that moment. Sports are never just about that game or just about that series, right? It's a culmination of storylines. It's a culmination of hard work. So I'm not saying I never complain complain about blowouts or boring games, because I'm sure if you go to my Twitter, I tweet so much nonsense that I do, you know, you're really lucky if you get right. We're lucky if we get the seven game series, right? Those are the moments we cherish. Those are the moments that like, you know, that when it goes to the last second, the LeBron block in one of the last seconds of the game seven against the Warriors, whatever that was a few years ago, like those are like epic moments for a reason, because they're so rare to happen like on that stage. So, you know, you kind of have to have the boring ones to appreciate the great ones. Yeah, I like that. Um, it's easy for me to sit here and be like, oh, I want nail biters when I've happily lived through, you know, the beautiful reign of Barcelona FC when they were just killing everyone. Brenda, I know you feel the same way. When they were <laughs> sweeping through and yeah. winning every damn trophy, I wasn't out here being like, oh, I wish Juve was more competitive. No, I was happy that they were winning. So I do say this and I accept my own contradictions. I am a work in progress. Anyways, moving forward, are there ways to make these playoffs better, different format ideas or ways that they're already being implemented? Bren? Shorter, 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 shorter. Um, I think fewer games. I think they've been extended for money. I think it's weird. I think to have them go, like how long are the NBA playoffs? Like I've been watching them all and So, like, when did the Celtics start with the Nets? Like, I feel like it was a year ago. After March. Right. (laughs) And they're going to finish in, like, July. And what's even happening? Then why have a season? So, yeah, I think two games at most. One in each and then point differential like they do in soccer. But then people will be like, no, it's fun. You get to see, like, players develop relationships against each other and develop their skills against each other and stuff. And that's... I get it. I do. But I'm a multi-sport person. I have no time for this. I have no, I've just incorporated the basketball playoffs and I don't, and my dishes are overflowing. So I don't know. I think shorter. Boom. Punch type of thing. Punchy. Lens. Yeah. I mean, I do think like the WNBA has done some interesting stuff, like as far as taking away conferences for the playoffs. Right. So when it gets dull is if there's like a best team in each conference right that's like automatically you feel like is automatically going to get to the finals like each year and and I think that was true for the Warriors for a few years not this year like I said I think this year why I've joined the playoffs is because I haven't known who's going to win I still don't know who's going to win right like I still have no idea uh, whether the Celtics or the Warriors are going to win and that's you know intriguing but I do like that the WNBA has taken away conferences and just see one through eight. And so things like that, I'm certainly uh, open to always a little bit shorter, though. I do love a seven game series, like in the finals, because I think like it's just the back and forth is interesting. I could compromise with the last one. I could totally compromise with the last. The first two rounds being seven games is absolutely absurd. Um, And just a shameless money grab. But also, like I've been saying this whole time, like, there are just times when there's going to be an injury. Something that was supposed to be exciting is going to be really, really lopsided, right? Or there's just going to be one team one year that's just so much better than everyone. Like there's zero way to guarantee that everything's a seven game, you know, series that you don't know the winner to the last minute. There's just no way. And that's fine. Because once again, that means we appreciate it more. 
So moving on to just between you guys, what is the most boring playoff or championship game you've ever watched? So this is, um, it's called the Finn Fest. It's because some Finnish people moved to Michigan and it takes place around a place called Wolverine Lake and it happens every year. And it's basically like, it's mostly over 40 softballers, men. They include some younger ones on their roster too and I don't exactly know. And they start drinking at around 9 a.m. And so you asked what was the worst or most boring It is so bad. I remember just being terrified that someone was either just going to have a constant brain injury from a ball hitting them or they were just going to like vomit all over the field. Um, It is the grossest sports tournament I've ever been to. It's called the FinFest. I'm trying to make it a tourist attraction right now. If anybody really wants to go and see super hyper drunk softball, that was the worst. (laughs) So I think... I think that's the all-time worst. And it gets boring because later on, you know, when they just stop their drinking-fueled, like, slosh fest, then it's just like they're just holding on for dear life to their bats. Um, So, yeah, that's the worst for me. I don't remember any, like, major professional sports because I wasn't dragged to it or if it was so boring, I forgot. That was an incredible answer, Brian. That's a, that's, <laughs> they could Google it. It exists. That's a hard one to follow. <laughs> I'll say like the 2018 NBA finals when the Warriors, peak Warriors versus the LeBron's Cavs in that first game was really close. Like in LeBron had like this epic game. And then at the end, that was the J.R. Smith, like taking the ball out when he shouldn't have like J.R. Smith forgot how much time was left in the game and they ended up losing. And it was like, you knew that was game one. And you knew the Cavs had given literally everything they had in that game. They lost it. And you just knew that they weren't going to win another game in that series. You knew it was going to be a sweep. And it was a sweep. Like there was zero inevitability after that first game. Cause it was just, I mean, there was, you know, it was just like, that was their absolute best shot. They missed it. So this year, do you remember when England, the women beat Latvia 20, nothing? It sounds familiar. It was the worst. I mean, we've got... Okay, so here's the thing. Women's soccer, women's football, there are there can be many. Like, I remember Germany beat Kazakhstan, like, 17-0 in 2011. It, bad, bad, bad. But I remember England beating Latvia. And I watched snippets of the game because after the 15th goal, do you really care? And when your keeper is out there actually trying to, and we talked about this, you know, there's a disparity. And I do want to pad what I'm saying with the fact of resources and disparity in terms of development and everything like that. But those games are hard to watch as a player, as a fan, even as a sports journalist, because after a while, you're like, who just if you turn around or to get a sip of water and then they score and you're like, I don't even know what's happening anymore. In 99, I remember Canada beat Puerto Rico, almost 20 nothing, if I'm not mistaken, you know, just before the Women's World Cup in 99. I remember that. And that was terrible. And I read about it because I didn't watch it live. But I was just like, this is this is awful. Do you know what I'm saying? Those kinds of things don't make me feel happy about the sport. And it's important to be happy. And like Lindsay said, to enjoy it. Like, I think we all want to appreciate you know, sport as best we can. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. 
Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This week, Amira interviews Brianna Scurry, U.S. Women's National Team goalkeeping legend, about her new book that comes out June 21st called My Greatest Save, The Brave, Barrier-Breaking Journey of a World Champion Goalkeeper. I decided um, a long time ago that I needed to be able to be authentic and real and true to not only the amazing of my life, but also the devastating things. So am I ready to tell the stories and tell my journey in the proper way? Because I didn't want to candy coat anything. I felt like it was important for me to go into those dark rooms that maybe I had padlocked and and, and put up barriers that I haven't been in for years to, to go in there because You got to talk about all of it if you're going to talk about any of it. Moving on to the burn pile. Linz, what are you burning this week? Today I'm burning live golf and in particular the justifications that some players are trying to make for playing in this series. Just say it's about the money and shut up. Because you're just making yourself look so much worse by trying to pretend this is anything other than that. Um, so for those who don't know, Live Golf is um, a golf tour that is funded by the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Saudi Arabia, the Public Investment Fund. The CEO is Greg Norvin, and it's you know trying to rival and take players from the PGA Tour. This has been brewing. It finally you know started this week, and it's tough because there's always a lot of moral equivocating, right? And most of these most sports teams are owned by rich people, and rich people are often very bad and <laughs> do very bad things with their money. It's hard to find any government that is not problematic and that has not um, engaged in very, you know, problematic human rights uh, issues, period. But this just takes things to a little bit different level because it is the Saudi government itself running the league. It does not care about making money. It does not care about investment. It is a commercial for Saudi Arabia. And um, it is just like the pinnacle of sports washing. Uh, These players, including Phil Mickelson, who it's been reported was given $200 million. Um, The players that are playing there have been banned from the PGA Tour Uh, They can still play majors because the majors are not run by the tour itself. Um, There was so much crap said this week with these people trying to um, justify why they were doing this. I want to read what uh, Charles Schwartzel, who won the inaugural 54 hole event and received $4.75 million, said 
Where the money comes from is not something I've ever looked at in 20 years. I think you can find faults in anything. Graham McDowell said, if Saudi Arabia wanted to use the game of golf as a way for them to get where they think they want to be and they have the resources to accelerate that experience, I think we are proud to help them on that journey proud. Uh, and Phil Mickelson, of course, has gone on and on about how he uh, is against human rights abuses. He wants to use golf as a force of good in a morally ambiguous world. And he thinks that is what Saudi Arabia is doing. To cap things off, I think uh, former White House Press Secretary Ari Fleischer has been the news conference monitor for all this, just for like a little bow on top. And look, this should be a topic in one of our shows coming up. There's a lot more than just one burn can do. But to me, it's the justifications, right? Just say it's about the damn money. It's about the damn money. Don't try and pretend you have a soul. You sold your soul. That's what you did. You're getting paid handsomely for it. Done. That's it. I'm good. You know? So I just want to kind of burn these, these excuses. Um, this is a story we will be keep following. And uh, I would just, you know, anyway, listening, I'm not saying the U.S. government is perfect by any means. The U.S. government does not run a golf tour uh, directly. <laughs> so it's a little different. But um and also Live Golf is just such a stupid name. L-I-V 54. It's Roman numerals for 54. Just say 54. I don't know. I don't like it. Burn. <laughs> um, also, if Saudi Arabia is interested in, you know, upping their their reputation, they could maybe not murder journalists. Like at the last golf tournament I was at a couple of weeks ago, like I'm sitting there talking to the Washington Post sports reporter about this, right? You know, he's like, these golfers are literally saying this to my face. Like they murdered my colleague, like they murdered my colleague. And then these golfers are just giving these bullshit explanations to my Ugh. face. Yeah, gross. Uh, Bren, what are you torching? It's really, really simple. Um, I am torching the South American soccer media. And specifically, I'm just going to point out one example, which is Las Ultimas Noticias. That's a major newspaper in Chile as just one example of many, many, many. You know, I read South American sports news and why. And the top, the top of the paper, <laughs> the cover or headline was about Arturo Vidal, who maybe you remember is part of the Chilean national team. He was played for Barcelona. He played for Juventus. He's he's really, it's fair to say, at the very end of his career, not really doing anything interesting. And the paper um, has a giant photo of him just on vacation. Um, it's just like, here he is with his shirt off. You've seen him a million times. And he's on vacation. And so that's the sports news for Las Ultimas Noticias, right? Also, Christiani Endler just won the Women's Champions League as, you know, this phenomenal goalkeeper from Lyon. That is just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's um, Arturo Vidal's vacation is a, a washed up. He's a wash in so many ways. The Chilean national team didn't even qualify for the World Cup, didn't even qualify just recently. He's not even playing. He's just somewhere doing something rich people do that has no consequence whatsoever. And Chile's best soccer player just won the most important European club tournament. And it's just this little tiny footnote that you have to go to page 17 
to read about. So fuck you, Las Ultimas Noticias, and all the people who write for you that made this decision. I don't know that every journalist did, but some of them do. It's pathetic. It's the same thing as when she was when she won goalkeeper of the year, they literally had news about a restaurant that opened um, with a sandwich named after the retired midfielder that no one knows. They will do anything to put men on the cover of sports pages. I want to burn it. Burn. Burn. So my burn is very specific to the Canadian Bobsled Canada Skeleton federation now you're probably like wait a minute but shireen you love sports and you love canadian sports yes but the federations are trash and this is a perfect example of that big props to laura ewing and her reporting she's with canada press bcs bobsled canada skeleton actually put in a specific clause for the 2022-2023 agreements for their athletes saying They cannot divulge or convey to others any information that paints BCS in a poor light. If anyone's been paying attention to sport in Canada, they know that so many federations are absolute dumpster fires and the issues of maltreatment and abuse are on the rise in incredibly alarming amounts. So for them to do this, it's suspicious. It's unacceptable. So you're basically telling an athlete, if you've been abused, you can't really say anything because it goes against the agreement. It's like terrible. So this is one quote that Lori got from an athlete specifically. It basically draws attention to the very thing we're complaining about, that everything is very one-sided. They hold the power and they're continuing to dig in by extending the force of which their power can be wielded to tell us as athletes that we can't speak negatively against BCS. Now, like I said, the athlete did not want to be identified for fear of retaliation. And this is everything to me. Like we're talking, part of the issue here is transparency. Like you're telling your athletes that they can't say anything to anyone if there's issues of like power dynamics, abuse, you know, negligence in terms of coaching and administrative efforts. Like that's bullshit. You know, I'm stand with the athletes in this in solidarity and I want to take all of this BCS. This is a shitty, shitty move. I want to take it and I want to burn it to the ground. After all that burning, let's lift up some amazing people this week. I'm going to start, and I am happy to say that Marie-Philippe Poulain, otherwise known as Captain Clutch, captain of the Canadian women's national hockey team, has been hired by the Montreal Canadiens as a player development consultant basically means that she will remain as a player and do this job part-time, but I'm very happy this is a definite get for the Habs. Congratulations to you. I love this for all of us. Brenda? Congrats to the Oklahoma softball team, who just won the Women's College World Series after beating Texas in the final. This was Oklahoma's sixth World Series title and second in a row. Among the many stellar players at Oklahoma, we have to cheer for the phenomenal home run hitter Jocelyn Allo. Hitting two home runs versus UCLA made her the only player in women's college World Series history to have two games with multiple home runs. And now, with 122 home runs in her college career, she holds the NCAA softball home run record. Damn. Lindsay. Yeah, we want to shout out some excellent recent hires in college basketball. Rachel Baker has been hired as the general manager of Duke men's basketball. We love that. Tiffany Cole is now the head coach of women's basketball at American University. 
And Sugar Rogers, former WNBA player, is the assistant coach of women's basketball at William and Mary University. Brenda. Lynn Grant became the first woman ever to win the Golf DP World Tour. The 22-year-old Swede captured a nine-stroke victory in the 2022 Scandinavian Mixed Tournament. Can I get a drum roll, please? <laughs> Torchbar of the Week is Mitali Raj, 39-year-old Indian women's cricket legend has retired. 10,868 runs scored over a career that has spanned nearly 23 years. If you can go to Twitter, you see hashtag thank you, Mithali. It's incredible. The tributes, the women's sports writers from all over the world that are talking about her, sending tributes, sending videos, statements about her greatness. There was one particular line that I got that gave me shivers, and it was written by Vinayak Mohanaranjan. They wrote, the records that Mitali Raj broke and created are numerous, but beyond those numbers, the impact she had in her early years will be her everlasting legacy. What's good? Lindsay? Well, I survived birthday weekend, so that's good. I hate birthdays. You all know I hate birthdays so much. So got through it. I'm very glad that's in the past. I had a really hard time with this one. Like, I don't know why 36 just like hit me. Ugh, I like, I felt weird for weeks leading up to it. I don't know. I just didn't like it. So that's done. And I feel much better. It's done. Got to see some family. So that was good. And yeah, I'm just, uh, feeling good. So that's, what's good is I haven't, I don't have to deal with that shit for another year. So thank God. I just want to say that I resisted all temptation to do a big post because I know you don't love it, but I love you. And I ate something sweet on your birthday quietly in order. It was very hard for me to be quiet, but I love thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bren, what's good for you? Um, well, this is the Ritapaki, the time in World Cup uh, moments where one team plays another from a different confederation to qualify or not for the World Cup. Uh, we're recording this on Monday, June 13th, and Peru has just lost in PKs to Australia, which is a drag for me. But as we're talking about exciting, I have to tip my hat that it certainly was, you know. Um, on top of that, last night, um, Sunday, June 12th, my very own brother, Ryan Steele, made history um, by planting an open mouth kiss on his boyfriend, Charlie Williams, another dancer at the Tonys. Um, and I was super, super proud. It'd be gross if I said I taught him everything he knows. So I don't have any cute, like, turns of phrase that way, except to say I love Charlie, and I love Ryan, and I love Pride Month, and what a beautiful way to celebrate. I couldn't be prouder to be associated with him biologically or otherwise. Yay! Yeah. It was so sweet. That is so great. Um, I wanted to say one of my best friends in the world, her daughter, got married on the weekend, and I have friends whose children are getting married, so it's like, oh, my God. I went, I cried. The, through the whole thing unsurprisingly um it was it was pretty beautiful they're a young couple and so so sweet so I'm really happy for Mariam and Muhammad um I've been getting to spend some really good quality time with my kids and it's really wonderful to note that as they get older they become less annoying in ways and I'm so happy for that because I really like my children and I know I've been a mom for like 22 years so but like 
it was pretty great. I also want to say I've been closely following Shakira being single. Oh my God. Yes. I've talked about this with Brenda a lot. Um, PK is a subpar defender and he's a subpar partner as we know. And so I'm in this year, 2022 of Shakira. I'm so happy that she's free. I'm so happy she can live her best life and be valued and loved as a superstar. She is. So I love that. So I'm just here to send good vibes to her. Um, I'm going to be, it's been really nice weather in Toronto. It hasn't been like super, super hot because I I melt in heat I know in America and particularly like Jessica and Miro was talking about it's like 100 degrees or something like that no thanks hard pass I like a cool breeze um and so that's a lot of happiness in my life also I got engaged um so that's that's pretty great um love you guys (laughs) love you guys (laughs) um yeah I have uh, I'm happily engaged to somebody who's wonderful so that's fun do you like how I threw that in there yeah that was just I know did you like that what are we watching this week the nba playoffs definitely wnba as per usual and wsl the fifa inter-confederation playoffs Concacaf versus ofc costa rica versus new zealand will be tuesday june 14th at 2 p.m eastern time that's it for this episode of burn it all down this episode was produced by tressa versteg Shelby Walden is our web and social media wizard. Burn It All Down is a part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Follow Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen, subscribe, and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and TuneIn. For show links and transcripts, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. You'll also find a link to our merch at our bonfire store. And thank you, thank you, thank you to our patrons. Your support means the world. We wouldn't be able to do this if it wasn't for you. If you want to become a sustaining donor to our show, visit patreon.com slash burn it all down. Burn on and not out. And I'm sorry, you-